This is the Rich Eisen Show. Here comes Donald, and he spins Burrow around, who then tried to throw it away. Live from the Rich Eisen Show studio in Los Angeles. Les Snead, general manager of the Rams. How do you have room under the cap for all the signings that you have, including Donald? There is ways to be creative. The Rich Eisen Show. Earlier on the show, ESPN NBA insider Brian Wintors. Still to come, senior writer for the MMQB, Albert Breer. Plus, actor Mike Coulter. And now, it's Rich Eisen. Our number two, the Rich Eisen Show is on the air. 844-204-RICH is the number to dial. We've got Kevin Van Valkenburg of ESPN joining us in a moment to talk about the Live Golf Tour, where uh, Phil Mickelson was introduced as the latest member of such golf tour yesterday. Um, today, it appears Patrick Reed and Bryson DeChambeau have now joined this tour yep. as more name players are um, running the risk of no longer appearing on the PGA Tour. And basically, they're saying, we'll take this money and play in this, um, this new tour and show up for the majors, which will still allow us to show up. And that's going to be their new careers. And I'm, I have no idea what this means for the world of golf right now. Crazy. And it's getting bigger and bigger. And the names are getting huger and huger. And the money is getting bigger and bigger. And, and in many people's minds, the hypocrisy getting larger and larger. And um, so he's joining us in about 20 minutes time. Mike Coulter uh, of the show Evil on Paramount Plus will be joining us in a matter of an hour plus as well. You at 844-204-RICH, number to dial, Chris Brockman and Mike Del Tufo in their spots. And so is TJ Jefferson, who uh, later on this hour wants to get something off his chest about our third hour guest from yesterday, Michael Chick. (laughs) I don't know why you've got something against such a very talented and sweet man, but... I got beef with Chickless. Okay, very good. Yeah. Well, uh, beef with Chickless <laughs> is. Uh, by the way, no, you can write that down as uh, our, our the latest uh, fantasy team name, but it's also the latest book by uh, Mitch Album. <laughs> it's um, it's coming soon. Uh, it's coming out on Thursdays, Thursdays, Thursdays. Okay, uh, joining us on the Mercedes Benz Vans phone line is our friend from Sports Illustrated. Uh, he writes the MMQB oh, no, every single week. Uh, he dropped. What happened? Did he hang up? He's going. He's going. He's going to. Uh, he's going to go buy that new Mitch album book. Is that what it is? <laughs> he's breaking some news right now. Uh, I saw that he was on. He was he's on, back. then he's off. He was. He was. Adam was talking. Yeah, I was in the back when Adam was talking. And he's gone. All right, he's calling he's, back. He's like calling Kaiser back. Soze. Adam. No, look, like Adam hung up accidentally on him. It's clear. Or maybe he's. You know. Did Rusty Harden pull the plug on it? Wow. Look, man, I I, I, I don't come to work saying I want to <laughs> I want to go off on a start. No, I don't. You should. I don't, man. I don't. Otherwise, I'd spend the next ten minutes on Jack Del Rio. Man, you know I don't. Yo, don't I even. Wish you, I wish you would. To be I kind of. I, I kind of do want to have a conversation. Like, I mean, with we Jack. could. We could spend you the know, entire show. Would, we could honest. spend the entire show talking about sports through the prism of what's going on in the real world. And I know people tune into shows like this to maybe escape the real world. And every now and then, I kind of bring it in. But you know, it's just every day with Deshaun Watson, something gets worse. I know. You know. And so um, I, I, I don't intend to do it, but it just seems to get worse and worse and worse with what's going on with Deshaun. So that's why we ended that uh, the third, the first hour with that. And again, as I mentioned, Mike Coulter's joining us. And at the top of the next hour, the uh, the story that we're, we'll be talking about uh, is what we're going to hit about with Albert when we can get him back on the phone line. 
Um, the San Francisco 49ers have got Debo Samuel in camp. DK Metcalf is not there. Aaron Rodgers is, in fact, there in Green Bay. He says he's not going away for quite some time. So there's all of that. You sure you didn't hit a button, Mike, or anything like that sort of I thing? I did or? not hit a button. I admit it. He's calling back. No, he's calling back. He's calling back. Okay, here, he is. He here he is. Back here on the I line. Put him, I he's put calling. him on the uh, old. You put him on the paint on mine list? No. Okay, never very do good. That to Albert. All right. I like so Albert. Uh, Albert Breer uh, is here on the Rich Eisen Show. How you doing, Albert? I'm good. I'm good, Rich. How you doing? I'm good. I just thought, like, what what, what happened? <laughs> You were ready to join yeah. us. And I have I have bad phone right now. I say that's what happened. That's what happened. Okay, so we're going to cross our fingers that the next ten minutes on the Mercedes Benz Vans phone line goes just fine with you. Uh, so let's get right down to it. Is DK Metcalf holding out on the Seahawks? Best you can tell. Yeah, I mean, I, I think like this is sort of indicative of um, the way this is going across the league and has gone across the league. And if you notice, Rich, um, a lot more players um, are grousing about their contracts in the spring than we used to see, and the reason why is because it's very, very difficult now to stage a, a holdout in the summer. And so in a lot of cases, if you wait till the end of July, it's too late because the rules in the new CBA are so restrictive and so punitive. I mean, if you don't show up for the first day of, of training camp, like you lose the year towards free agency. So if DK Metcalf held a one-day holdout in training camp, then he would not be a, an unrestricted free agent next year. And so, you know, for a lot of these guys, you know, it's sort of the spring is the time to make your point. And, um, you know, in a case of a player like DK Metcalf, given what's happened with the receiver market, you know, you can certainly see where maybe, you know, making a $100,000 investment, which is what it would be to miss all three days of, of minicamp, um, in making a statement about what you want and, and what you're looking for from the team when you know, other receivers across the league are getting paid 23, 24, 25 million dollars a year, you can see where that might be worth it. Um, you know, if you're kind of doing the calculus in your head. So then why wouldn't Seattle pay him? What, what, what's the, what, I, you know what I mean? I, I know it's easy for us to say pay the man. You got Debo Samuel up there in San Francisco. These things take time, I understand, but. Um, I'm kind of mystified because with Debo, it's kind of straight up, right? Where yeah. he, he is such an important part of this team that can win the Super Bowl uh, right now. Um, and that's why a lot of people think Trey Lance shouldn't be the quarterback because he's not quote unquote ready for that. But at least you understand that this is a team that's not being retooled, remade. They didn't just trade away their uh, Super Bowl winning franchise quarterback of the last decade, who is uh, a pillar of the franchise. DK could be an indication of where Seattle's going right. uh, with their roster and their plans and long-term plans and things like that. So, what 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 is what is the the crux of all of it? Well, they want to keep him, um, you know. And look, okay. like Rich, like I, I think if they had wanted to move him, um, if they had said, like, okay, like we are really tearing this thing down to the studs and we're going to start over. They would have traded him by now. It doesn't mean that they can't still turn around and decide to do decide to do that in a month or two. But you know, if that was the plan from the start, the time to do it would have been when teams had their draft picks, when all the cap space across the league was available to extend them. If other teams wanted to bring him in and extend him, mm-hmm. um, so you know, if the Seahawks' plan from the start had been like, let's blow this thing up and start over, and we can't afford to pay a receiver twenty four, twenty five million dollars a year. Well, you know, the time to do that would have been in March. And John Schneider, you know, has been doing this for long enough, knows better than you and I um, that, you know, like 
it, it, it wouldn't have been worth it to wait on a number of different fronts. I think this is just a matter of the receiver market changing and, you know, kind of, you know, what the Seahawks probably had budgeted for him and now those numbers changing. And I think we've seen, you know, at different positions, of course, how things have changed and how thresholds have been broken. You know, you see it a quarterback with, you know, before this offseason, I think there were three quarterbacks making um, over $40 million a year. That number is now six. And the same sort of things happened at receiver um, and on multiple different levels, too. You know, you've got Devontae Adams and, and Tyree Kill, um, you know, and, and um, you know, at the top of the market. And then you look at, you know, the next level, well, Christian Kirk got $18 million, you know, so there's no excuse not to pay a player like this well over $20 million a year. So, you know, I think part of it is like sort of recalibrating where you're at, you know, and recalibrating uh, for where the market is. And I would assume DK's people in Seattle are going to try to work to get something done before the start of training camp. But, um, you know, you could definitely see where, when you look at the the numbers, that the, the, the amount of money that's going to be that, that's on the line here, why somebody like D, DK Metcalf would say it's worth a hundred hundred thousand dollar investment um, to make to make a statement here, make my point, and let the team know where I stand, um, so I don't have to do it when it could be really damaging to me in the summer. Albert Breer here on the Rich Eisen show. So, what is the scoop up in? in San Francisco uh, with Debo and Lance. I, I keep saying over and over again, yeah. week one, it's Lance's team. Jimmy G was told, you know, don't even show your excuse from showing. I mean, and, 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 and yeah. it's not like his presence there would be, you know, so acrimonious if he showed, but there, there's a reason why they tell him not to show is because it's Lance's gig, right? It's Lance's gig. You tell me otherwise, yeah. and I'll start backing off this thing. No, 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 no. It, it is. And, and look, like, my understanding is, like, I, Jimmy Garoppolo's people, like, if there's a trade suitor out there for him, like, I think the green light's there for, 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 for Jimmy Garoppolo's people to negotiate the financials on it, you know, because obviously with $24.5 million due to him, you know, that could be an issue. So, I mean, everything the Niners have done, uh, both behind the scenes and then publicly over the last three or four months, has indicated, yeah, like we're moving on from Jimmy Garoppolo. And, um, you know, I think that's been signaled to Jimmy in several different ways as well. Um, you know, now, the, now when it comes to the question whether or not Lance is right, that's a different question, you know. And I think it's going to be interesting to watch where this goes. I would say – there was a fair amount of retooling that had to happen mechanically with Lance because he's not the most natural thrower of the football. So the Niners had to work with him on a bunch of different stuff and sort of rebuild some stuff in his game. And as a result, there were some ups and downs last year. It wasn't like a straight ascension, you know? Like he came in and had a great first 10 days of training camp, then he dipped a little bit. You know, then he kind of slumped, then he came back and bounce back after you know he had a really i would say mediocre performance in his first start i think that was in week five you know and so there's been ups and downs no question about it um but you know i i think that there's i think there's optimism that they can build an offense for him the question is whether or not it's the the, the, the kyle shanahan offense that we've seen the last few years and my sense is where they are right now in week when, when we get to week one I don't think it's going to be the full Kyle Shanahan offense. I think it's going to be some hybrid offense that's built to get Trey Lance going a little bit. And, you know, that's fine. I think that's sort of kind of where he is developmentally. We knew he was raw coming out of North Dakota State. 
And, of course, Kyle's been down this road before. I mean, it's sort of what he had to do in Washington for Robert Griffin about a decade ago. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine if Lance gets the throws down? Because I mean, you could basically say that, all due respect, uh, they were running a limited Shanahan offense with Garoppolo, too. You know, I mean, right. like <laughs> there were throws that I'm sure Shanahan would love to have in his offense that, that Garoppolo couldn't make. And Garoppolo had so many problems thrown over the middle in between the hashes. My goodness yep. gracious. And, and so he freelance more. He freelance more than Kyle would like to. I mean, I can tell you that for a fact, you know, like, I mean, Jimmy did a lot of great things, but, you know, they definitely I mean, there's part of this, you know, part of the reason why. Um, you know, part of the reason why they, 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 they traded up and they, you know, went and got Trey Lance is because they wanted to raise the ceiling at the, at the position. And, and look, like, you know, Kyle's had quarterbacks that are, that are pretty good, not great before, um, and he's been beaten on the biggest stage by great quarterbacks. I mean, think about his own experience. And I know that this really has affected their decision-making at that position. Um, you know, in the Super Bowl as the offensive coordinator of the Falcons, I Kyle coached his ass off for three and a, for, 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 for two and a half quarters, and Tom Brady made it not matter. A few years later, you know, he's the head coach of the Niners. They're in the Super Bowl, and the Niners outplay, outcoach, out everything the Chiefs for three and a half quarters, and Patrick Mahomes makes it not matter. So, you know, a big piece of this was raising the ceiling at the position. And sometimes to raise the ceiling at the position – you maybe have to take on somebody who has a little ways to go, which is sort of the logic that they used in taking Trey Lance where they did at third overall. Albert Breer here on the Rich Eisen Show. Let's spend a couple of minutes here on the defending world champs. I had Les Snead on yesterday. So rare to see a, a contract given to a player that yep. doesn't add any years at all. It just adds money, right? But Aaron, Crazy, Donald, right? Aaron Donald's a unicorn, so that makes sense. Check that box. Had less on here, and he mentioned uh, multiple times the the phrase about the window that we have is what he he said. And then when I asked him about the specifics on that, he said uh, Matthew Stafford is the key to the window anyway. When you have somebody like Matthew Stafford, you can't put a time frame on a window. But you have receipts that I'm sure Les didn't really want to mention on the air. What do you think that window is for the Rams based on the cap in all of what they've built with the very expensive players worth the money, though. What do you got? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, they're sort of built the way the Indianapolis Colts were built, if you remember. Um, and there's a reason why, like, those Colts teams with Peyton Manning fell apart the way that they did at the end when Manning got hurt. You know, you had all these guys that they were deeply invested in um, that, uh, they, 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 that they just sort of all hit a wall at once. You know what I mean? Like, so... They're built in that fashion, and, you know, I think that there's certainly the potential out there that a bunch of these guys get old at once, and, oh, my God, what are the Rams going to do? And they have to eat it for a year or two. Uh, but I'm with Les on this. is worth it. You know, if it, you have one Lombardi already, it's already been worth it, and you probably have a chance to compete with this core for another couple of years. You know, he's, and, and Stafford's the main piece of it, and, and, and he's signed for the next, you know, four years. Now, he's had his injury issues, so there's no question that, you know, to some degree, you're monitoring that. Maybe he's not a guy that plays into his 40s the way Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady have, but he's the number one piece. You also got to think about the fact that Aaron Donald's 31, Cooper Cup's getting older, Jalen Ramsey's not going to be young forever. And so, what I'm, what I mean when I'm comparing it to the Colts is like when you're, you know, really reliant and over leveraged with a smaller group of players, and you're relying on yourself to, you're relying on your ability to find talent to, you know, kind of fill roles around them. Um, the picture looks a lot different when that course starts to age and decline. And 
So, like, I think it's not just Matthew. It's a number of different players there um, that they're built that they that they've really built the team around. And you know, I mean, one example of it is Andrew Whitworth. You know, like that's already taken a big piece out of the out of the puzzle. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, that exists, no question about it. But, you know, I think everybody in that building would tell you <laughs> uh, that party they were able to throw in February made it all worth it. And anything they get from here as far as the plan goes is icing on the cake. Albert Breer here on the Rich Eisen Show. Let's jump into Deshaun Watson. What, what's going on in that Browns building right now? I mean, they, they have to be yeah. shaken by the 24th lawsuit that led to his own Watson's own attorney saying we got to look into this as opposed to, like, never could have happened in a million years with a behavior like that sort of thing. Jenny Vrentis's story, yeah. I mentioned earlier, that the, the, the behavior that is, is, is uh, laid out there uh, can, be, can be termed as predatory. There's just no other right. way to put it when you read that sort of thing. He has every right to defend himself in this country, and there's a court of public opinion. He is losing in that court right now, getting routed and he's got to show up for work next week. What is happening, Albert, right now? Um, so I think I, I'm going to give you one of the keys, and I don't have the answer to this question. Okay. How transparent has Deshaun Watson been with the Browns? How transparent has Deshaun Watson been with the NFL? That's, I think, an operative question here. I think it's a really, really important question. And we've seen the NFL come down harder on players in the past that weren't transparent with them. And they've always felt like they have to do that in, in, in large part because they don't have subpoena power, right? So they have to sort of set the example that if you don't cooperate with us, it's going to be worse on you. It helps them investigate future cases. So, you know, like looking forward at this, and we all, I mean, look, look, the accusations are awful. And I think that goes without saying, mm-hmm. and I don't want to trivialize any of that, but just you know, talking about this from a functional standpoint, what was in Jenny's report in the Times yesterday, and then what was in the 24th lawsuit, like how transparent was Deshaun Watson with the Browns, with the NFL, about what was coming? Because I think that could affect where this goes. I don't think we're going to get word on a punishment like tomorrow. Um, I know the NFL's feeling was maybe the best course of action was to wait until the period for pretrial discovery ends, and that ends on June 30th. So like their feeling was mm-hmm. it's important to let any information that's going to come out come out before we make a final decision, and it doesn't really matter whether or not we make a decision before June 30th. It won't materially affect anything anyway. But, I mean, I don't know, Rich. Do you think that maybe the league feels the heat now? <laughs> they have to that they have to do something. I, I think that they're they're. I, I think the feeling with the people in the Browns in the league up until now has been that they were going to get a decision on discipline right before training camp. Um, but, you know, like the, the, the public pressure that's on the league and the Browns now. Um, and then, you know, I think however transparent Deshaun Watson was with the Browns and with the league could certainly affect, you know, the timeline and how this goes over the next few weeks. I mean, is he not available for questioning next week, you don't think? I mean, it's mandatory minicamp. Every quarterback speaks. We've got Aaron Rodgers in front right. of his locker that we're going to be playing on. I mean, that's that's part and parcel. When you are the, right. the starting quarterback and certainly one of the most well-paid quarterbacks in the history of the league. I mean, honestly, like, and, and you could keep saying, you know, you're going to respect the process. The Texans also in this story um, – uh, yeah, popped With up a NBA, couple of times. Yeah. What, you, like that? That now 
opens up a completely different avenue of questioning right now, Albert. I, I, yeah. I, I know you don't have the answers, and, and, I, and I know the, the league doesn't appear to have them either, that they want more answers before acting. But isn't that what the commissioner's exempt list is there for? That we place someone aside, they're still paid, and we're just going to, you know, we're going to remove this player from the public forum and the ability to ply a craft while we figure out what's what, right? And, and Rich, they've used the commissioner's exempt list in that way in the past. I mean, they used it, I believe, in 2000. Was it 14 with Rice and Hardy and Peterson, right? Like, they used it, and... um, you know, like there was a shift in the way that they've handled discipline the last few years, and that was, you know, really a result of the Ezekiel Elliott case and Jerry Jones basically convincing other owners, like we don't want to be judge, jury, and executioner anymore. We should let the legal process sort of lead us by the hand. And so, you know, as a result of that, like you know, the league stance on this has been, well, so long as there aren't criminal charges, we aren't putting him on the exempt list. Um, and I would say this, too. I think the Texans really sort of bailed the league out last year in that sense, right? Right. Like, because the Texans just said, okay, we're not going to put him on the field. And Deshaun Watson was okay with going on paid leave or, in effect, paid leave. It wasn't paid leave, but it was, in effect, paid leave. And so, you know, both Watson and the Texans sort of bailed the league out. But as that um, was also at a time where we didn't know the details of what was going on. We just right. assumed it's because – Watson insisted he would never play for them again, and why would they have that player out there on the field and run the risk of him exactly, getting hurt? Yeah. That was, the, mean, that was the, the, the backdrop of what we thought at the time was all of that. Well, Rich, at the, at the doorstep of training camp, you'll remember last year there was that question, is, are they gonna put, is the league going to put him on the exempt list? And the narrative coming out of 345 Park was pretty consistently, unless there are criminal charges, right. we won't do that. And then the commissioner actually came out and flat out said that in March. And so I, what I know about the commissioner's exempt list is Roger has great discretion, like a, a high level of discretion on this, right? Like, so, like, the narrative about the criminal charges, that's not really required. Like, he can put Deshaun Watson on the, on the commissioner's exempt list as he sees fit. And I'm with you. Like, if they don't feel ready to suspend him, like, I sort of feel like this is what the commissioner's exempt list is there for, at least in the form that they've started to use it, really going back to that, you know, September with when the Ray Rice and, and Greg Hardy and Adrian Peterson cases happened all at once. It's, you know, to take a guy to take a guy off the field when it reflects poorly on the league what's going on. And so, I mean, yeah, I, I, I think next week's going to be interesting. Whether or not the Browns put, put Deshaun Watson out there is going to be interesting. Um, you know, in front of the media. And, I, like, at, at this point, you know, like after, you know, not making him available for the entire off season and sort of making Kevin Stefanski answer all the questions for everybody on this, I, I, think, it's, yeah, I, mean, I think it's very, I think it's very fair to, to question the Browns if they don't put Deshaun Watson out there. And I don't remember what the PFWA rules are about that, but I don't think they have to make him available. But, you know, I think it's sort of, I think the optics are really horrible if they're hiding Deshaun Watson. Even if all they can do is put him out there and he just has to answer every question, I can't answer that because of the legal situation going on. Um, you know, I, I think the optics of not putting him out there 
and having him, you know, face the music are are not good for the organization. Albert, thanks for the time. Appreciate it, man. All right, thanks, Rich. I appreciate. it. I that, apologize for the phone. Uh, call, I don't know. Right? It's all good. That's Albert Breer here. I know we, we got to take Albert. a we got to take a break uh, to to get ready for Kevin Van Valkenburg. But just real quick, uh, uh, Stefanski, uh, they they put him out there. I mean, what's the coach going to say? It's the owners who said we we're comfortable having him on the team that should be speaking. Correct. Right. I mean. Yeah. He's What's Stefanski going to say? That's what he keeps saying. I'm, I'm going to respect the process. The only question is, what was the process uh, above the the your flow the flow chart from you that was going on? You know, Stefanski's just hired to to come up with the schemes and win win and lose. More, you know, win. I shouldn't say win and lose. Win. Win or tie. We'll take a break. Kevin Van Valkenburg next, talking about the Live Tour. Everybody, when we come back. Let's talk O'Reilly Auto Parts, people, or as you might know from their jingle, O-O-O O'Reilly Auto Parts. They're in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offers friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs because you know when you need your car fixed, you need somebody who knows what they're talking about and is helpful, has a smile on their face, and gets you back on the road. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. The team at O'Reilly Auto Parts can test your battery for free in or out of your car. If it needs to be replaced, they'll help you just... Find the right battery for your vehicle. Need your windshield wipers replaced, a brake light fix, or a quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. Whether you're a car aficionado or an auto novice, you will find the employees at O'Reilly Auto Parts knowledgeable, helpful, and the best of all, friendly. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash Eisen. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash Eisen. Hey, folks, it's time for the NFL draft, which means for me, I need a good night's sleep because if I don't have one, just not myself. You know the deal. You know exactly how important it is to have quality sleep. It's a game changer for all of us. So sleep number helps me. My sleep number setting is 60. My wife's setting is 70. We both get a great night's sleep because we could adjust the firmness of our mattress on each side. Improve your quality sleep because Sleep Number learns how you sleep thanks to their smart beds and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Rich Eisen Show here on Terrestrial Radio Audience. Kevin Van Valkenburg of ESPN joining us here on the Mercedes-Benz Vans phone line. Kevin, you mentioned um, $200 million fee for, for Phil, and you also said for, for, for Dustin Johnson. I, I mean, is, is, is this equity firm that is funded by the, the Saudis giving out, um, you know, a quarter of a, of a billion dollars almost to every single player that says yes to playing on this tour? Is that what's happening? Not every single player is getting that, certainly. Uh, some of the big names, the big fish, uh, in particular, you know, Phil was kind of one of their big targets because not only was he willing to come do it, but he was, you know, willing to sort of recruit other players and try to set up a, 
you know, the model for how the league could be run. Uh, and so, you know, if, if no one knows exactly like how many uh, millions some people are getting, but, you know, you hear, you know, 30 million for guys who have one PGA tour win who are young and, you know, a million dollars here for guys who were a few years ago, the U S amateur champion or the NCAA champion. And so it's a mixture of kind of old and young. And, you know, I think the, the complicated thing is, is that the Saudis have decided that it's um, in their best interest to kind of show the world that they're a country that can be invested in and taken seriously uh, and that they want people, want businesses in particular to sort of um, look at stuff like their investments in Formula One, their investments in this tour, uh, you know, their purchase of Premier League teams and say, you know what, I, I think I'm comfortable investing in Saudi Arabia. The, the public backlash isn't that significant. We don't have to always talk about Jamal Khashoggi uh, and some of the executions that they've uh, carried out on LGBTQ people. So I think that it's not really a tour. You have to think of this, Rich, like this is none of this is intended to ever make back this money. They're not giving Dustin Johnson or Phil Mickelson this money because they think we'll turn a profit in a few years on the golf. They're fully comfortable, it seems like, losing all that money uh, because the sort of larger goals are they want to build cities in Saudi Arabia. They want European and Asian and American money to feel comfortable coming into their country. And, you know, it's a complicated moral issue, and, and but I think that their bet is looking like it could sort of be the right one uh, because – they have a lot of money to throw around, and for every time that people talk about, hey, that wasn't that neat when Bryson won that tournament in Portland or Bedminster or Jeddah or you know wherever they end up playing, Trump Doral, that was a great opportunity for them to sort of launder their reputation a little bit after some kind of pretty controversial thing. Kevin Van Valkenburg of ESPN right here on the Rich Eisen Show. So when this is this. <laughs> This kimono gets lifted in the manner in which you've described uh, in a question and answer period with these players in these introductory press conferences. What are what are their responses to it? Well, it's clear that they've all been coached to sort of sell this as, no, no, this isn't about the money. This is about uh, growing the game and reinventing golf. And, you know, we, we want to bring a younger crowd to golf. And, you know, it just doesn't really feel like any of them believe any of that deep in their hearts. Like, they wouldn't be here if it was sort of just about growing the game of golf. And in some ways, like, you almost wish they could just say, like, you know what? It's a lot of money, and I, I decided to take it because I want to make a lot of money and I want to work a lot less. And I don't really care about the implications to the PGA Tour, which is set up as a nonprofit. I don't care what that means for the future of those other people who stay, I want to make a lot of money. And, you know, it just, it's kind of funny to sit there and hear guys talk about, yeah, the reason that I'm coming to play this tour is because it has a shotgun start, not, you know, because I'm getting a hundred million dollars. I really like the idea of a shotgun start so that everyone has a fair draw. And if he's almost kind of chuckle sitting there because some of them trying to sell it with a straight face, some of them are better at selling it than others. Uh, and, you know, in, in that respect, nobody's been better at selling products uh, than Phil Mickelson since Arnold Palmer, really. So what is happening in the front offices of the PGA Tour right now, Kevin? I think, uh, I mean, 
I think that there's a little bit of a panic probably going on. There's certainly some, you know, worry that uh, they're going to lose more people. I, I think you have to understand, Rich, like the PJ Tour benefited a long, long time from being set up as a nonprofit. It, it essentially allowed them to pay, like, to duck out on essentially $200 million in taxes. ESPN, Paul Levine did a story about this. You know, it's almost 10 years ago, so it probably would work out to be like three, $400 million now. But that setting up as a, a nonprofit means that they cannot, like, give money directly to the players just for sort of showing up. And it has sort of, like, come home to roost, and then it hamstrings them a little bit because a lot of athletes in every single sport – they want guaranteed money, and who can blame them? Like injury or performance. Like if you're you play poorly one year in golf, you know you're not going to get paid a lot of money. And so the PGA Tour just simply cannot, by legal rules, hand over money to people. They have to sort of invent reasons, like oh, this is for the you know the the player performance thing. Is what drives fan interest? What's referred to as the PIP. So they gave Phil eight million dollars last year for driving fan interest, and Tiger ten million dollars for you know being one of the most Googled, recognizable athletes, even though he didn't hit a single shot on the PGA Tour. All of those things still pale in comparison to the $200 million that, you know, the the public investment fund that Live Golf people can give someone like Phil or Dustin or Bryson. And so I don't really know exactly what the answer is going to be for the PGA Tour. They can't, I think, forever rely on sort of the loyalty or the morality of people like Justin Thomas or Roy McIlroy, who both come out strongly against joining live because that's not going to last forever. Like money sort of always talks in every professional sport and oil money dominates the world. And I think that what we're seeing is that it makes sense. That it would eventually kind of come for sports. Like it, people were kind of aghast when it came for premier league soccer and F1 and now it's coming for golf. Well, I mean the, the concept of the tour card, Kevin, um, Dustin Johnson flat out said, I'm resigning. I'm out. Uh, Phil said, why would I give it up? I spent so much time in my entire career to get what I got. I'm not giving it up. I'll play in the majors. Um, and, uh, and then there's the issue of whether he's serving out a PGA Tour suspension. He demurred on that, saying, I'm not talking about tour issues, and then <laughs> directly responded to a question about whether he's given up his card or not. So what, what, what is the tour potentially going to just play this out, hope that there are some young stars that everybody's going to want to see to supplement the guys who they're not going to allow to come on? Will they eventually allow them to play in some of these events if they're past winners, top 10 winners? I mean, like what, what wiggle room might they have here, do you think? Yeah, it's a, it's a really tough question in part because, like, if you're Dustin Johnson, let's say Dustin Johnson hadn't resigned his PJ Tour card. Mm-hmm and he wanted to play in the Valspar or the Arnold Palmer or some tournament. If you're the tournament, if you're the tournament committee chairman of the Valspar or the Arnold Palmer and Dustin Johnson wants to play in your tournament, how, how do you sort of be okay with the PGA tour saying, no, no, like that. We know that might help your gate. It might help your sort of, you know, the amount of money that you can donate to charity, but we're going to hold firm on this and he's not going to you know be allowed to go. It's going to be a tough position for them. I mean, I think they have to kind of, stand with what they sort of said their punishments were going to be because they've made a big talk and, and several times spoke to all the players and said, if you do this, you'll be subject to discipline. You're going to be suspended. And I think it would be kind of ridiculous to think that Phil hasn't been 
suspended on some level. Like, why would you not say like, oh yeah, no, I haven't been suspended. I have, or I haven't had that conversation. But they, like, it's pretty clear that setting up, trying to set up a rival tour and giving them documents, allowing your lawyers to draft some of that legal language is kind of grounds for, for suspension, uh, even as an independent contractor uh, of a particular tour. So I think that it's, there's a very good chance that this becomes a legal issue that it goes to court, that it's, that we have a court case that could go to district court and Supreme Court of Mickelson versus the PGA Tour. Mm. And I think in part, Phil probably would not mind that kind of uh, fight. He doesn't, I think, like have outright animosity towards the PGA Tour. He feels on some level like it has allowed him to live a pretty amazing life and that he's, but he's also kind of quick to sort of say, I've given a lot to the tour. I've kind of helped given a lot of value over the years. And he's right. Like nobody besides him, besides Tiger has won almost 50 years. I think he's run 47 times. Uh, that's an amazing number for a professional golfer. And I think that we are going to sort of, if he says, you know, basically, Hey, I'm going to fight this. I'm not going to be like Dustin Johnson and just say I'm I'm good with it. I want my place back on tour. I earned that. It's going to get interesting, and it will get interesting because I think we've seen in a lot of you know court cases that you know there are legal issues, sure, but like it often kind of can come down to what political appointees are sort of of certain judges, right? Like there's a lot of politics that are messing with this. Like Jared Kushner is a close friend of. The people who are running this tour, Ari Fleischer is out there working as the MC of this uh, these press conferences. Like, there's a lot of, you know, uh, politics swimming about in this. And so, if you've got political appointee judges who don't love the, the PJ Tour because, you know, they've been sort of steered down that road by certain people, then that's going to get really interesting and complicated, isn't it? Well, I mean, Kevin Van Valkenburg here on the Rich Eisen Show, you just mentioned how there's politics involved in this in this live tour and who's behind it and who's friendly with it. I, I, I mean, is Newsmax now going to get into the sports rights holder front? <laughs> and I, I, I say that with a little bit of tongue firmly planted in cheek, but it, it is, look, anybody who tells a story about how the merger happened in the NFL and the, in the AFL was television contracts. And if TV starts showing it and people start watching it, then that gives the that that upstart league, if you will, a little bit more power and a little bit more buzz around it. And so, uh, like, if if the PGA Tour events have fewer stars on it, will the television partners of the PGA Tour start to uh, look around and 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 ring up the number of the Live Tour and see what's going on? Like, what is the TV? Last one for you is the, what? What's the TV aspect of it? Because right now, the only way you can see this is online. Um, and that's yeah. not a problem. That's how people are watching the show right now. But uh, right. W- what do you think, Kevin? Well, certainly a TV uh, contract somewhere would help us further establish the tour and would make it sort of available to a golf-interested audience that isn't quite uh, embracing streaming like you know a younger generation is. And there's a I'd say the medium age of golf fans is probably 55 and up. But uh, you know, I think we also kind of have to sort of grasp that if if they got some sort of streaming distribution where they were getting money for it and you know that was where broadcast rights were trending and i think if you look at like the nfl being broadcast on amazon and apple and places like that that there is evidence that that other sports are trending towards specifically just streaming 
that maybe golf could sort of survive. And maybe that would be, you know, just a different way to look about it. I know that they've tried to get some sort of, uh, you know, broadcast partnership and they've essentially been kind of turned down or chuckled at. But for every sort of larger star that kind of drifts over there, it makes it a little bit more appealing, right? And how did Fox uh, TV, how Fox Sports become a huge the NFL you know NFL it was they get the NFL in whatever you know year that was 1990s and now you know it's a huge media empire and so like what if a small smaller place decided to take a shot and say hey golf is my kind of thing and that's what we're going to sort of stake our flag in and you know who knows how it's going to look like in 10 years Kevin thanks for the time um are you going to the event this weekend, you can do it. Uh, yeah, I don't think okay. I'll be writing about any of the golf stuff, uh, <laughs> but I'll be sort of uh, writing about the scene and uh, trying to kind of make sense of of it all. Uh, and there's there's apparently like kind of rock concerts every night after the golf. It, I think it's it's really unclear to me whether any of this is youthful or it's like kind of out of touch old people trying to feel youthful. So I'm going to kind of dig into that and see what I think uh, if they have. Uh, actual fans here or people who've been paid to sort of dance with uh with dj fat tony who apparently is one of the people who's appearing oh obviously they say kid rock is like john voigt the course reporter i mean like you know what what, what do we got you know like what what what, what do we got do we know kid rock did appear he did to perform at justin johnson's wedding so i feel like he's obviously there we go rolodex see so you know what I, I, and, and everybody thought i was just trying to be funny Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Thanks for the call, Kevin. Uh, Appreciate it. We'll chat probably, soon. You bet. And it's Kevin Van Valkenburg, everybody. All right. Let's take a break. We will be back with more. There's uh, the the famed new uh, Mitch album book, Beef with Chickless, uh, as, as based on a true story of T.J. Jefferson with yesterday's third hour guest. That's coming up next. Let's talk game time. Boy, do we love using game time tickets at the Rich Eisen Show. And every single time I've been watching the basketball playoffs on TV, I've been wondering what it would be like to be at these games. And when you choose your tickets on game time, you can see the view from your seat where the court is, where you are in relation to it. And then the all-in prices, that's my favorite feature. The all-in prices make sure that you see the lowest price guarantee and also know exactly how much everything costs all in before you purchase so all the guesswork is removed when you buy playoff tickets with game time download the game time app create an account and use my code rich for $20 off your first purchase terms apply visit gametime.co for restrictions again create an account redeem my code r-i-c-h for $20 off your first purchase download game time today last minute tickets lowest price guaranteed Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Back here on the Rich Eisen Show, 844204, Rich, number to dial. Hey, Chris, you went to uh, the Angels Red Sox game. I did. Great game last night. You showed up in Trout Homer. Boom. How about that? And then the the Angels um, still lose anyway. They fired Joe Madden. 
and extras. I mean, uh, just two weeks ago, the Angels were on their way to the playoffs, and Joe Madden had solved that Angels Rubik's Cube and might have been as simple as, hey, Trout and Otani are healthy. And then a 12-game losing streak happens in the middle of which we learn that Trout is the worst fantasy football commissioner <laughs> of all time. And uh, and Madden gets fired. Phil Nevin is now the interim yep. manager there. Yep, yep, yep. Trout homers first inning, eh, nothing really. Tani double off yeah. the wall, and then Trout homer. Kike just missed it, robbing it. Right. And uh, and then from there, it was back and forth. A lot of action, a lot of hits. Uh, Sox won an extra. Six, Did you stay five. all the way? Did. Wow. Very yes, impressive. Stay. Thank you. Very impressive. I mean, a rare night out. So yeah, I, again, very uh, good. Make, very, very good. Most of it. Uh, while that happened, the Yankees won handily. Um, <laughs> and uh, despite the six-game win streak for the Red Sox, they're still 11 and a half games behind. Can't the Yankees have won ground. seven in a row. And it's now, Thank what's you. the date? I mean, you're like the cuckoo clock on this program with a calendar. What are we? Uh, I mean, June 8th. It's not June 8th. Like, yesterday, it was June, June 7th. So it's not miraculously August. You know what I mean? Okay, it's so only it's June 24 8th. Hours it's later. June 8th. Got it. Understand. Yesterday, Michael Chiklis, Red Sox fan, was here, brought this all up to him, and um, I, he, he thought I was writing checks that I couldn't cash, and I said that there's a the canyon, and there's heroes, and then he brought up, what did he bring up, T.J. Jefferson? What did he say in response to that? Well, what did he say in he response kinda, to that? And he said it kind of very slyly and didn't like put a lot of yeah. emphasis on it. He goes, you just never know what might happen. He goes, you never Anything know. A pitch happen. might come in and... Hit Aaron Judge in the pink. That's what he said. Something like that. Is his point of like, there's anything can happen. Anything can happen. But as a Red Sox fan, you know he he was just giving you a scenario, but he was really wishing it. I don't think there's any malice in that man's heart. No, when it comes to sports, he 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 turns into the thing. You know what I mean? From back in his his film. Ben Grimm was a Yankees fan. Oh, okay. You know. So then what do you what's your problem with him? Oh, why why I got beef with Chicklis? Yeah, what's your problem with because, him? Because, man, he put that out there yesterday. He kind of put the, the About Judge. He put well, what he did was he and put And Judge Homer in his first at bat. He put by the, the way. voodoo out there. Yeah, that wasn't it couldn't have been robbed. It went it went, it went over. What it disappeared into the into the <laughs> ivy that they have there in Target Field yeah. now. Yeah. So it was way gone. Off the bat. Sorry, I, I, I digress. Go ahead. Well, you know, he put it out there. You know, he wanted to put a little hex on uh, on the Yankees, and he said, you never know. Aaron Judge might get hit with a pitch. So what he did was he put the hex on a New York power hitter, and it missed Judge, and it went right to Pete Alonzo in the form of a U <laughs> Darvish fastball that oh. hits Pete on the hand, and he has to leave the game. I think it was like the first of the third inning. Like You're blaming him I'm now. blaming Chickless for that, man. If he wouldn't have said that, do you think Pete would have got hit? I don't think so. So how is Alonzo now? Is he okay? He's okay. Uh, nothing broken. Oh, okay. So what are you, so what are you complaining about? Because I had a night about. of sleeplessness, okay? I was, I was scared. I was nervous because then Sterling Marte goes out with a bad will, and I'm like, oh, it started. It's, it's oh coming. my God, it is starting. It's now coming. Yeah, it's, it's happening. It's a long on season. On June the 7th, it's starting. But oh, guess now, what? Oh, it's now, a it's a, now it's a long and, season. No, 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 anything can happen. Now but, it's a long oh, season. Oh, Judge, Judge hit his 22nd home run last night. That now it's a long That leads season. the majors. And guess what? Marte's fine. Alonzo's eh, fine. So you're fine. It hasn't started yet. It's okay. okay. You're just a Met fan looking for the trap door. I'm a Yankee fan who's just ready for Canyon of Heroes. That's the difference between a Met fan and a Yankee fan. This right there. Is a third right of the way there. over. See, now right you're, you're being cocky now, and I might I'm not, not being happy. cocky right See, now. That was a very the Yankees, arrogant the Yankees, statement. The Yankees are extremely excuse arrogant. Excuse me. No, I'm not being cocky. I'm just dispensing facts. The Yankees are know. 40 and 15. 
Yeah, the Mets are thirty. The Yankees are forty. The Yankees are forty and fifteen. Last time they won forty out of their first fifty-five, mm-hmm. they won the World Series and finishing a hundred and twenty and fifty. 125 and 50. That was the last time that happened. 1998. Mike, don't hide your hands. Love it. I saw that team win. Love it. Soak it in. Love it. Soak it in. I'm not soaking it in. Love it. Soak it in. In the hands. I'm not soaking it in. 40 and 15 is what they are right now. You are what you are, and what they are right now is on June 8th. That's all I'm saying. And you're like, it's so early. It's early. Of course it's early. Anything can happen. I totally understand that. And you're and you're and you're you're sitting there saying, "Oh God, it's going to happen! It's going to happen!" And I'm saying, "Yeah, it's happening." Difference between you and me. Uh, again, Mets that's and a, Yankees. That's it. That's and you're arrogant. saying, and you're saying yeah. that's not arrogant. It's it's that called arrogant. No, it's hashtag spitting facts. <laughs> it's arrogant. It's cocky. And it's but here's facts. the deal. It's well, like you're his not team, cocky. His team, his team is like, "Hey, we're 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 on the upswing. We've won six in a row. We're finally two games above 500. <laughs> two, two above average. Two. The Sox were ten and nineteen. I know. I'm so glad you joined the Major League Baseball season. The Mets were never that bad this year, so I can't relate to that. Out in the loss. They've won six in a row. They're still twelve out in the loss. It's amazing. It's wonderful. Soak it in, Mike. Enjoy it. I can't. I am. We're in the wild card. What are you guys talking about? Mike Coulter joining us (laughs) in hour three in studio. Season Uh, ends today. We're in the playoffs. Great. It'll be great. Who are you starting? By the way, Simmons had a great Simmons had a great tweet last night. He is right because I have Garrett Whitlock and oh, I, oh, I, I have Whitlock in in uh, in fantasy. Why are the Red Sox trying to turn him into a starter? He could be the guy that comes know. in every other day. Don't know. And show shows up in innings seven and eight and just locks down whatever lead your six, pitcher's six, handed. Six, seven eight. Right. He could do that. Oh, but they don't have a closer. Let him close. Let him come in eight and nine. I don't know. Yeah. I, then let him be that guy. I don't have an answer. Why are they I'm not doing the that? Manager. Hey. I don't know. But like Simmons said, hey, at least we locked up Rafi Devers and Bogarts. That hasn't happened. Oh, wait a second. I know. <laughs> I know. Great. Hey, enjoy tonight. You're in the finals tonight. It's great. Not, go, not going tonight. Made a decision. Yeah. <laughs> Got to watch the NBA Finals the games, tonight. The game's three Gotta time watch. zones away. The game's on the East Coast, by the way, TJ. Got to watch the NBA Finals tonight. Going tomorrow. Pavetta tomorrow. Oh, that's who we start. Oh, so going playoffs. tonight? I thought you said you're not going to the NBA he finals the, tonight. So you're, no, no, no. Oh, okay. Staying home, watching the finals tonight. Right. Going back to Anaheim tomorrow for Pavetta, for who I also have. Coop, Coop picked Me him too. up the He's other day. Amazing. He's been great, great lately. Name. Yeah, great name. On fire the last month. Coop picked him up the other Pavetta. day for our team, which has won seven of the last uh, seven of the first eight fantasy contests this year. For all the crap you know, we're, we're, we're like the we're, we're like the Yankees. It's still early. Anything can happen. But you know what? We're 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 winning more than not. Stop it, Mike. Enjoy it. I can't. Why? Every other can't. team, every, virtually I, I, every other team in I baseball know, is just, like, hey, we won six in a row. We're two I, games of five hundred. This can't. is great. Hey, I mean, we, we're we're looking good the last ten days. How about the last eight weeks? Two thousand and four. First eight I'm, weeks. I'm, I'm this is great. Thank God the lockout. I can't ended. do it. Because could you imagine if this didn't happen? Because this lockout. I love it, but I can't even think about it. Judge on a pace oh. for 65 home it's runs. Great. Yeah. It's great. May he They're be. They're showing him stats against. I love how you blame blame Pete Alonso getting hit on Chickless saying anything mm-hmm. can happen, and he used that thing. He just threw it out there about Judge getting hit with a pitch. Yankees are going to have to print money. Because he put it Judge. out there. That's all I'm saying. You know what, Judge? Any pitch that comes oh. close to Judge to, to hit uh, that would hit him, he'll just turn on it's it and gone. he'll turn around and put it over the fence. Okay, not like Alonso don't have 14. Then. Like, oh, Alonso leads the league and, and runs batted in. Mets yeah. look great, dude. I know you should be. You should be like me. Nah, you should be cutting up TJ, paper. You see, I swear, I'm like TJ. You I should can't. be cutting up paper to throw the out the window Mets. in downtown you. Manhattan. Watch them win too. Uh, 
No, I'm just going to enjoy it game by game every game Can't on June the 8th. That's uh, our update on baseball. June the 8th. Hour three coming up. <laughs> <laughs>